and hello everybody welcome back it's what would the smart party do um i'm over here and i'm baz and he's over there and he's gaz hello mate hello everybody and hello baz how are you doing good holiday uh awesome awesome holiday uh it was ostensibly a holiday with like you know sand and sea and buckets and spades but actually it was a giant rucksack full of gaming books and notepads and looking at stuff and (laughs) actually getting enough time to like scribble down some ideas and stuff like that so i was prep heaven um and then eating and drinking which is pretty much a holiday that i love so Sounds good. yeah Sounds yeah yeah good. good 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 but i didn't go very far but but you've been far and wide right you've been doing your little uh, gaming holiday stuff too yeah yeah that's right well um two things really one was quite close by to me uh expo at birmingham which is getting bigger and brasher as always uh, and I've also been over to Amsterdam to Condemned for a, a little geeky gaming convention over there, which is a bit more informal and uh, really two opposite ends of the gaming spectrum, I would guess. Well, I don't have to guess. I was there. I can tell you it was. <laughs> I could guess because I didn't go to either of those. So I'm, ge- I'm guessing one of them was kind of bigger, brasher than ever, and the other one was the other end of the spectrum. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> you, that's a good guess. Wow. Well done, Baz. Have a Benny. Yeah. So uh, Expo was uh, at the Hilton Metropole, as it always is, but also now like took over most of uh, the NEC as well. It got one of the bigger halls. So you were there last year, weren't you? Came yeah, for a day. Yes, yes, yes. So for those that have not been, it's like a big warehouse, but they had the bigger of the big rooms, and that meant there was a bit more space. And they had sort of like a grid structure, if you imagine, in an American city. It's a little bit like that. They uh, put street names on the floor. So you could find your way around. That didn't help me anyway, because I was just wandering around looking at stuff. <laughs> but yeah, there was there was room to move around for for several years at Expo. It's been a bit of a they jam everybody in the trade hall, and you're getting hit off backpacks left, right, and centre. There's traffic jams of people, but a lot better this year. Got a bigger room, uh, more space, and it meant you could have a bit more of a, a leisurely walk around, even on the busy Saturday. So tons of stuff to see and do. There were some uh, great traders and guests of the podcast there. So so. Paul Baldowski and uh, Chris McDonnell and Daniel Sell and all those kind of people. Uh, and, you know, tons of board games, miniatures games, all kinds of things there as well that you, like, if there's any way of getting money off gamers, these guys have thought about it <laughs> and set up a store. There's, um, there's one guy with uh, laser cut plywood and MDF and that kind of stuff, uh, making little holders for things. So for every board game you can think of, it got like a little board you could put down and it'd hold all the clocks uh, cards and tokens and bits and pieces like that with little yeah, things so- for it so it's obviously people who play the game but they thought of the best way of doing it which is great but there was even one for code names which is basically you lay five cards out in five rolls or whatever so you have 25 cards it. on a table code names just yeah. got, you could hold that in a matchbox exactly so the, so that that particular thing I, I feel even we were saying well I'll buy anything but <laughs> You've gone from needing a matchbox, needing a matchbox, and carrying around a big bit of wood with you <laughs> to put your cards out. So, so clearly you bought but, two sets, right? One for best which, and one for I, rough. I have no doubt that some people bought several, yeah. All kinds of stuff. There was a bit of cosplay going on. Uh, the Hilton itself, this time, was all given over to gaming, so quite a lot of role-playing and stuff like that. Hmm. Which I didn't dip my toe in this time. I've spoken to a couple of guys that said it was a bit better. For example, the uh, the air conditioning worked in the room this time, which mm. it didn't last year, which I can tell you from being in there was uh, somewhat warm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I think one of the, the things that Expo tried to do this year was get an app. Well, they, mm. did, they did get an app. It just didn't work. Um, so it was very hit and miss throughout the, the weekend. I had planned on trying a game or two, but from the moment I went up and scanned my key code and it didn't know who I was, so I had to manually get a piece of paper out to get my tickets. Uh, and then I had other GMs had issues. Uh, I think it was a bit of a problem. It just came a bit too near the actual thing itself. I think it was two weeks before kickoff that they were asking for beta testers, which, from an IT background, I'd tell you was probably a bit... That meant it was a bit too late. And it probably needs to be ready by then, if you know what I mean. Mm. And a bit more, had a bit more stress testing. So the idea was, I think, because people don't turn up to games and stuff like that, that you could like log in and out and say if somebody had turned up for your game or not, and James could say if they got spaces for the front desk and know straight away and could get people sent to you, that kind of stuff. So the intent's good. Um, I just think they probably need another year to get that ironed out a little bit more. Sounds like a good um, plan. But yeah, lo- it wasn't that long ago we were putting traffic cones on on tables to let people know that there was space <laughs> there. 
Yeah, and I think for a lot of the smaller cons, it is that sort of stuff still. that You've got a dedicated person who comes around and says, have you got space in your game for another person? Mm. That kind of thing. So I applaud the effort. Just need just needs a little bit ironing out on the technical detail of that, I think. Uh, and apart from that, there was just tons of stuff. I think there was sixteen or 18,000 unique visitors this year. Wow. So it's, it's getting pretty huge. And they had some like Viking reenactors out in the fields smashing each other with axes and stuff and you know all kinds of things two different food courts this time and all kinds of bits and pieces so if you're into gaming it's definitely worth going even if it's just a day trip because there's tons to see and do did you have a gaming highlight any one thing you took away from you that you, you love seeing or playing or watching uh well i really enjoyed the um the netrunner because that's my thing as we know they had the european championships that year uh, this year for the first time uh, so FFG and a couple of others have got like this other massive hall just for card games. So there's tons of stuff for Pokemon with a little games wall. But that, that was good because it was a, a truly European experience. Quite a lot of the um, the continental Europeans came over. I don't think I played one Englishman all day, and that was the only other guy from my store, which is you know, <laughs> typical. But there's like 300 of you playing or whatever, and you get drawn like around against your mate from <laughs> you play every week. But, but yeah, apart from that, it was like uh, someone from Denmark, Germany. Italy, Spain, possibly France, I think, in there somewhere as well. Wow. So there, that, that was a really good event. It's good to see everybody coming over and supporting it for the first time. Mm. Um, and the the guys have said uh, from Organised Play they're going to do it again next year. I think the idea is ultimately they'll take it on a bit of a roadshow, but it was good to see uh, that level of event supported, if you know what I mean, and, and people coming from literally other you know other countries across the sea and all the rest of it to come along just to play some cards and, and hang out and do cool stuff. Mm. Nice. So that that was definitely a highlight. Um, and aside from that, it's just just being there is really good for trying out some demos and doing some things. You know what I mean? You can you can just rock up to stalls and say, "Give us a quick demo of this." Play a couple of rounds of games and then get a feel for it and work out whether you might like it or not and that kind of stuff. Mm. So so I think that was that's good in terms of we've all stand there and look at shelves of box games or whatever else and maybe read the back or ask a friend or look on Board Game Geek or something. But it's good just to actually get there and go. Well, let me roll some dice. And then, you know, just give it a little bit of a go so you've got some kind of understanding. Because to be fair, that put me off a couple of games, but that's a good thing because I didn't then buy them and be annoyed or give them bad reviews or anything like that. I just thought, no, this isn't for me, thanks. And then others play a bit of a round and picked them up. So, yeah, that's, all good. that's useful for the publisher as much as it is for you, isn't it? Because you're not going to run away yeah. and feel like you've wasted your money or even your time. Because, you know, knowing you don't like a game is as important as knowing which games you do like. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Cool and and uh, yeah, it was good. Good having uh, Ian McAllister there as well, another friend of the podcast, who's at Giant Brain Games. He was on a press pass this year, so he, he was going around writing loads of bits and pieces, interviewing people, writing some stuff up after the event as well as at the event. So mm-hmm. if you go over to Giant Brains and, and check out his stuff, uh, you should get a thorough review of various different games and his experiences at Expo, which is probably very useful if you're a gamer. Yeah, I, I saw his organisation posts on the internet. It was exhausting looking at his planning for the day. Yes. If I remember anything <laughs> yeah. about Expo, you come out of it absolutely rinsed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. So, yeah, he, he spent several weeks going through alphabetically all the different guys that were going to be there so he could get a short list of people who might get around to seeing at the day and they ended up with 50 <laughs> or 60 and didn't see all of them, but then saw a few who didn't want to or didn't realise he wanted to at the start. So, yeah, tons to see and do. Well worth having someone... <laughs> Well, worth having someone like him to sort it all out for you rather than having to do it yourself. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Good for him. Yeah, and, uh, and then at the, the complete opposite end of the spectrum, um, in terms of size, if not enjoyability, uh, was Condemned, which is a little convention that's in Amsterdam. Um, it's basically a, a bunch of Dutch guys that used to come over for Conception down south and IndyCon, things like that. Um, they were sort of challenged at one point and saying, why, why don't you have conventions where you live? and that kind of thing, and we want to come over, why don't you do something? Uh, so they set that up about six years ago, I think it was. Mm. Um, and basically, there's a, a game cafe a little bit out of town, still within Amsterdam itself, but in, more in the suburbs. Um, and it's normally where people go uh, to play backgammon or chess, and you just get little old men in there, who will have half an argo or something, and then you know nurse that for four hours while they have a few games. Um, but they hide it out for us, and the, the, the guys who wanted it weren't too sure, but after the first year we went over, we drank them dry, and they had to send a guy out on a moped to get more rum because they didn't have any left. Uh, they went, no, you're good when you're coming back. So it's, it's carried on from there. And I'm, I'm glad to report this time, even though there was a few less people than normal, they still ran out of uh, the vice beer by, I think, Sunday morning. Wow. 
when people go to Pascal and say, yeah, sorry, we have five kegs, but you've drunk it all. So good to see the British tradition of going somewhere else and just drinking all their stuff. <laughs> it's alive and well. But but in addition to that, there's great games. So the good thing about the Dutch crowd is they are um, very up for uh, indie stuff or playtesting or that kind of thing. So if you want to go along and just take something that's half-formed or you just want to give it a bit of a bash or you're not quite sure or something a bit free for me, they're all up for that. You get, you'll always get a receptive crowd. So that was quite useful for a lot of people. Hmm. Um, I know Derek, one of the guys, he wrote a game basically on the bus on the way to the convention. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, he couldn't get anyone to, to play his game for the first couple of times when he pitched it because it's a bit of an indie beat style thing where essentially each slot you all just stand up and pitch whatever game you want to run and then people mm. hold hands up if they want to be in it and then you fill games from there basically. It's all very loosey-goosey. Uh, and then he got Max, uh, one of the UK role players, uh, to uh, basically give a revamp to his pitch and when Max pitched it he got like loads of hands so he uh. had to run his game and, and everybody really enjoyed it. So it's uh, it's all in the selling of games I think quite a lot. But True. Yeah, so there was all kinds of stuff. There was some D&D played in 7th C and things like that as well. So it wasn't just uh, lighter things. But I got to try out Tales from the Loop. Oh, cool. Which, it was good. It worked. I think I've got a better idea about how I should run it now, if you know what I mean. Yeah. The adventures that you get in the book are actually a little bit light, I think, probably. Mm-hmm. So you need to G players up to the idea that they're going to have to provide some banter amongst themselves, maybe. Or you go with a bit more oomphier session I think probably the mysteries in the book last a couple of hours maybe if you're not careful mm. so you might need to run two in a session if you think you're doing it yourself that's my advice to people who might want to run it just bear that in mind uh, but yeah really good the system's quite simple um, classical schoolboy error I'd print some stuff off and then left it in a different bag when I got the plane Hooray. so d- didn't have characters when I got there but fortunately I did have my tablet with a PDF on and some printed out character sheets that were blank so uh, for both my sessions, I ran it on both days, uh, different scenarios on each. We made characters at the table, which was quite good, because then it gives the players the opportunity to sort of uh, discuss how their kids know each other and all the rest of it. I think one probably went a little bit better than the other in terms of players talking to each other first about what they were doing or as they went along, and one was a little bit more lonely fun where the players sort of all just did their own stuff and only said at the end what it was that they were, the character was about. Mm. Um, so it all worked fine. It was all good. I think it does. Uh, it does bring about the question about do you prep your games and do you pre-gen characters before you go to a convention, things like that. Because um, also play some Dead of Night again, one one game each day, and that was again making characters at the table, which I think was fine. Um, it you know good good sessions and all, but I cannot think that both of those sessions would have been better if we'd had some pre-gen characters. And there's not a lot to the character generation. It was in no way onerous to make a character for Dead of Night or something like that. Uh, I just feel that from a gaming point of view or as a player if you've got characters mostly gend up first or the relationships between them or how they fit into the scenario it leads to probably a more comfortable experience for me anyway I don't know how you feel about that kind of stuff Beth well I think I think that's going to be the topic of our discussion a bit later on in this podcast isn't it so yeah heads up everybody we're going to be talking about um, about organised play and disorganised play um, and maybe a couple of different approaches to to how to pitch your games, um, whether it be at a con or at your home group as well. And I, I, and I suspect we're not going to come up with a, a definitive answer, but it would be nice to investigate the pros and cons, perhaps. So that's the yeah, plan. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, well, yeah. Good. I, I would recommend, again, I'll just probably give them a, a good pitch there. Condam's an excellent convention. I mean, if you want to do nothing else than sit in Amsterdam and have a few drinks and chat to nice people about gaming, then um, you're golden. Uh, but as well, you get to play games and deal with the stuff. Mm-hmm. The other cool thing they did actually, while well, I remember, is uh, a little bit of a mini LARP. So mm-hmm. as a way of shaking people up on um, the Sunday morning and getting them a little bit there early and, and walking around, we did a sort of hour walk around Amsterdam. But uh, a lot of the crew had set themselves up NPCs at various locations. So we kind of had to do a bit of a mystery, like we walk up the following morning and uh, all the rum's gone. Like alcohol's disappeared from the world. So it's like our world, but without uh-huh. alcohol. Uh-huh. This is clearly a problem. So we need to find out where the rum's gone. So we had to go from sort of location to location, like finding these NPCs and trying to work out what was going on. And they did a little thing with Instagram and various other bits and pieces, so they looked like they got real profiles and various other bits and pieces. So that, that was quite a cool little thing they did as well, just to give it a little bit of uh, extra spice to the weekend. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, so it's good. Everybody should come next year. I shall, uh, I shall put something in the show notes about the Facebook group or something, because it's uh, well worth doing. Yeah. Uh, and funnily enough, I think Amsterdam is probably closer to me than where you live. 
So <laughs> I probably should yes. do that. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, I've, if I've got a complaint about the journey, it's that I don't get a long enough sleep on the plane. <laughs> yeah, it's like being on I, an air just, bus. <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> yeah. I'm just about getting to that REM stage when they give me the 10 minute warning, they're going to land again. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you're into your second gin and your tiny packet of peanuts, and you've really got to drive. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> well, I, my um, my last couple of weeks have not been anything like as glamorous or as far ranging, uh, but they have been full of gaming, which is really good. So um, con season is is kind of upon us both, I suppose. And I'm in in the midst of prepping a bunch of stuff. So my local con um, is having a second run out this year. It's doing something in September, which is not that far away. We're recording in June, and as anyone who's ever prepped for a con will tell you. That looks like it's a long way away, but you don't have to swipe very much on your smartphone calendar to get to that month. And I, I tell you now, I will be generating characters the night before because <laughs> that time will fly by. Um, what have I just said about characters? Oh, I know. And, and perhaps recklessly, I've, I've uh, set myself up to run three games um, and all completely different from one another because who doesn't like a challenge? So, of course. And I'm going for some reasonably crunchy stuff this time. So I'm prepping up uh, Feng Shui 2, uh, the game of Hong Kong action cinema. Um, nice. That should be good. Uh, I, I own it, so this is good. That's not always true when I volunteer to run games. <laughs> 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 so that's nice. Uh, and then I've got a big old meaty afternoon session of 13th Age. And then for the evening, I'm going for um, Blades in the Dark. So... Three very distinct games. They've arguably all got a bit different GMing styles and play styles. Um, I hope so. Anyway, so it's a real pick and mix kind of stuff. And and prepping for those three simultaneously is is doing my head in. So I might just have to concentrate on one until I've finished it and then move on. Otherwise, there is a very good chance that there will be some kind of cyborg ape on a road warrior uh, dust bike carooming around in. Uh, the Blades in the Dark setting, which is potentially brilliant. <laughs> Sounds quite good, yeah. <laughs> but might not be quite what people have signed up for. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that is one of the things I'm sort of leaning towards these days as well, is just actually prepping for our game, or at least our system, if not our setting, if you know what I mean, or trying to narrow down my options a little bit. Because I did get excited about all these different things. Like, all your games sound great. Hmm. Uh, but then, as you say, they're actually prepping three different systems and settings and all the rest of it and get the characters from all sorted out can be a bit time consuming the smart party are raising funds to help with the running costs of the show we use patreon which is kind of like a modern magic item that turns you into a connoisseur of all that is good in gaming to show your support just head over to patreon.com slash the smart party you can donate a dollar a credit a copper piece or a fiver per month it all goes into the portable whole of web hosting costs and helps us look after you every month with new smart party content. Patreons get a big thanks from us, some backer-only goodies as and when, and the warm, confident glow of the just and righteous to help you sleep at night. Join the smart party at patreon.com today and tell all your friends tomorrow. Cheers! Yeah, which, which I guess is a, is a beautiful segue. It's almost like you scripted that, and both of our listeners know we don't do this kind of stuff. So... <laughs> Let's segue into the the main topic of discussion for tonight, which is like level of organisation involved in games. Um, uh, and this was spurred on by, uh, as our loyal listeners will know, last time out we were chatting with Mike Mason out of Chaosium, um, and he was telling us about organised play for Call of Cthulhu. Um, and he's that company is is far from the only one that does organize play and I, and I know that at expo there's a whole bunch of organized play and some of the bigger cons will hive off a certain section of themselves for organized play and certainly it's something that, that some companies do on a huge huge scale i'm thinking of like paizo wizards of the coast that kind of thing um so i wanted to sort of like have a bit of a chat about organized play about uh, our experiences with it um and uh, the pros and cons and, uh, and what it does to con scenes generally. And then I, I'm guaranteed we'll move on into the other subject, which is, I, I suppose, the opposite end of that, is if you're not doing organised play, how, how unorganised can you be and still get a game going on? So zero prep or low prep for gaming. We've already talked about how much stuff that we tend to take on before we run a game, but I'm really aware that there are people who happily rock up having written their game literally on the bus to Amsterdam 
and no one knows what's going to be happening after one minute one and minute two. So a couple of different extremes. So so I, I guess organised play, guys. So have you have you much, if any, experience with organised play in your time at cons? Uh, a little bit. Uh, enough to know that it's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see you next week, everybody. So that's <laughs> I don't know if uh, the Cthulhu one will change that for me. Uh, well, partly it's because a lot of it tends to be D&D or Pathfinder or games of that ilk, uh, which I don't tend to play. So, you know, by, by definition, I'm not going to be that interested in them. Uh, to, but I know some people love them. And um, for like Conception I mentioned earlier, that had 500 people or whatever it was a year that used to go to it, which was quite big in terms of pure role-playing conventions. Um, a good chunk of that was Pathfinder organised play. So definitely from um, from an organiser of a cons point of view from and people who want to sign up to it, you definitely get the numbers. So there's mm. a good thing there, and you know what you're getting. Uh, you'd see a bunch of guys all with like the little um, sack trolleys just stacked up with boxes and boxes of rule books because you have to have every single manual and want to get all your options and all that kind of stuff. Which was always quite amusing, uh, but they'd love it. They play it, but it, it, I don't really get the uh, competitive nature of it. Almost like you've got to beat the dungeon, or you get marked on how well you do it, it which seems to be in some cases. Um, and the other thing is that, from the point of view of us as GMs, uh, me and you have, have run, you know, Godlike, for example, mm-hmm. uh, Gen Con and things like that, and you get other gems. And we're, you know, we know each other quite well. But I, I'm pretty sure our two games were quite different. Not like massively different necessarily, but they'll have a different tone and flavour. Your take on World War Two superheroes would have been different than mine, guaranteed. Uh, and yeah. and that, that's from people who you know game together for years and all the rest of it. So if you get a bunch of referees for say twenty games of Pathfinder, do you get the same experience? Uh, probably not, I would say. But if it's something like that, something the D and D like games, you've probably got a better chance of getting close to it if they're sticking to the. You've got a certain number of monsters and a certain number of time to get through these different dungeons, and there's a certain amount, of, a certain amount of treasure, and this, that, and the other. And if it's all a bit more scripted and that kind of thing, and you like that kind of game, you've got a better chance of getting the kind of experience that you want or that you expect. Uh, the difference would be if it's an unorganised game, for want of a better phrase, is you don't know what you're getting, and you're just relying on the person running it to provide you with a good game, and you're not quite sure how it will look. So probably the advantage of an organised player scene is that you've got a certain level of expectation you can expect to be met by the person delivering the game to you. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, similar. Um, my experiences are similar to yours. I don't think it's for me either. Um, the organised play that I've done has been on a smaller scale where I've played organised play games in stores and home sessions and stuff like that rather than the big cons. Um, but I've been exposed to it in the big cons too. And... Um, Definitely there's a sense that organised play is about consistency, as you say. So you get the feeling that you can rock up with a character that you've done, you've generated somewhere else, which is unusual in the sort of con gaming that we normally do, where, where you would either do a character at the start of the session or the GM would provide pre-gen. So you're, you're having people rock up uh, with characters that were kind of done off-site um, and had probably been through adventures or scenarios before, and they weren't even necessarily, um, uh, they're not necessarily of a similar power level. It's kind of a bit of a weird thing to explain, but the only reason it sounds weird is because it's in a role-playing environment. I mean, you, you, you were saying that at Expo this year, you went to the Netrunner tournament, which is a living card game with some, as, as you would expect from a tournament kind of game, it's got very strict rules, and, and even then you have to have judge interventions and so on. And in role-playing, it does a tight environment to do your role-playing in. But, as you say, mate, it seems to float some boats. Um, when I've done it, what's been a bit weird about it for me is the session itself has been either enjoyable or not enjoyable. I've not really noticed any massive difference during the session between that and any other game, if I'm honest. Although you can kind of see the beginning and end of the scene and it's difficult to not be quite meta about it there'll be like a combat and then something skilly and then combat number two will come along and you can almost watch the minute hand go around on the clock and see how the encounters go so they, they don't feel very organic <laughs> but that's okay that's that's the environment you're in where it feels really peculiar is immediately the session finishes it then becomes like um, there's some admin work to do about the rewards and the achievements that you've unlocked it gets quite computer gamery um which, again, that's not necessarily a bad thing. 
But that's when I've done organised play before, that seems to be when the players really wake up and get excited. And for me, it felt a bit like getting more mm. excited about your club card points you get from Tesco than the shopping you bought when you were in the supermarket. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the more I think about it, the more interesting <laughs> well, that we've all been there. So uh, for me, that was a little bit peculiar because, you know, I, I want the memories of the game, not the memories of the little bit of paper I've got with the number. Um, but I can I can see the whole sort of like collectability bit and the unlocking achievements. Uh, sure. Although it does seem like a very, very slow way to play what feels a bit like a computer game. But, you know, it's, it's up to people how they do that. I suppose on the pro side, what's interesting about it is that you can come up to your organised play almost as a consumer and you kind of have those rights and responsibilities too. So you can say, I'm here, uh, I play Pathfinder, I love Pathfinder, this is my level three barbarian. I, I, am, I know I'm going to get a level three adventure. There will be some other people who will also be level three and we will all be relatively balanced and matched and the GM will know what they're doing and we will get a consistent experience, which will be fun. And it sounds a bit dry to me, but do you know what? There have been, after some con games, I would, have, I would have given my right arm for a bit more consistency and guaranteed fun. So, so perhaps the point of organised play is to be less swingy. I don't know. <laughs> I suspect the point of organised play really is to just galvanise a player community around a certain publisher's game. Um, which I would not blame them for at all. And it does seem to attract players. And it doesn't even have to be particularly Pathfinder or D&D ish, because I remember this was true for Path. Oh, it's only said Pathfinder again. For 7th C, back around the first edition, I'm sure there was that. And for um, and for a bunch of games like Legend of the Five Rings 2 from, from the same publisher, mm. and, and even stuff like Feng Shui. Where you had like you know card game tournaments that were influencing the role playing sessions and vice versa. So there was a there was a great big worldwide community that you could go to a con and play a game in. So that feeling of being part of something really big, that's quite a nice thing to take away from organized games. That if you if you are having an impact on the on the big world that you might even see in a supplement mm. some way down the line. That's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think there's uh, definitely some merit there. Um, one of the things I was chatting to one of the guys at Condemned about was when mm. you go to a session, uh, people don't run the game as it's written, which I think we're all guilty to one degree or another, perhaps of forgetting a real or you know not looking it up for the sake of pace of the game or getting it slightly wrong or using your house rules because you think it's better, but not pre-warning people. Uh, but so- some people are more extreme with that than others. So, you know, we've, we've both talked about how we've gone to game conventions hoping to get an experience yeah. and then play the game and then went really does it work like that it's like oh no these are all my house rules and you find out they've barely used the system at all uh, in which case you kind of feel a little bit cheated <laughs> or well I do uh, and so did this chap I was talking to to be honest that you kind of if you sign up to play for example Call Cthulhu or Pathfinder or whatever you're expecting to get the, that system demonstrated to a degree um you know, eighty twenty rule and all that, but you want to mainly see that game. And if you get something else, it feels a little bit like you're not getting what you asked for. Um, so, you know, th- those sort of organised player things at least have certain rules around you play to a certain standard and the rules you use and all the rest of it. And most of the people around the table as well understand those rules and have looked them up because they've tried to min-max them or get the best for their character or whatever else they want to do. So, there's the other advantage there if you like that sort of game mm. that. You're probably playing with other people who know your system as well and are all really into it. Um, so you could view that as a pro as a con, or a con. But uh, if you like those sort of games and want to play with other people who know about all the different options and the cool stuff, then good, you're going to get that. Um, and one of the things I've sort of said I'm a little bit uh, disappointed about sometimes is that I have to keep using basic versions of games because there's always new people. But new people want to try new games. So two different approaches there uh, and if you want to go and perhaps if you don't know anyone else as well you might have a local game club but you know how to play D&D and really love it and you want to get that experience with a bunch of people who also know it and love it as much as you do Organised Play gives you that kind of option to go and turn up on your own and, and you can get that sort of play that you're expecting mm. or hopeful yeah yeah it's definitely like take a ticket and turn up and you're going to you're, you know, you're going to get service to, to, to one degree or another uh, and, and yeah, I, I guess yeah, arguably exactly. it's a service you could complain about if you didn't like it too you could literally ask for your money back, mm. which no one successfully managed to do in any of our games. <laughs> 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 
who gets a buys a beer so I can tell them yeah, why they're wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so I think, I mean, for you and me, organised games don't really do it for us. I'm just, I'm massively conscious that there's a huge constituency of people who, who play and love organised games um, because I see them at conventions. I don't see many people talking about them necessarily on the internet. I suspect they have their own communities to back up that type of organised play. Um, yeah. I, I would dearly love to hear from people who are involved in it, for good or ill. So, you know, if you want to get in touch, there's the usual methods. Uh, and please do, because I'd love to hear what it's like on from the inside. Um, I've run a couple of organised game sessions where I sent off and got envelopes full of stuff. And it was it was an interesting experience. And, but I did really feel like I was having to to deliver somebody else's stuff it felt a bit more like work than than i was expecting so so i'd, I'd love yeah. to know what other people get out of it um not so that i could tell you wrong but just so i can help me understand what's what's the, what's the appeal largely um because I, if it if it mm. is good if it's something you like you are going to be a happy gamer for a very very long time because you can't move for some of this stuff at, at dragon meets and expos and the rest of it there's a great big chunk of the con dedicated to those people. So I want to know where they're getting their fun from and whether I can have some. Would it would it be something that you would ever do, mate? Would you ever be tempted? I, I guess it's based on on the game, but if it was something that you loved, I doubt there'll ever be a hot war organised play system. But if there were, would you do it? <laughs> um, probably not. I try and avoid it because I end up organising lots of things that I don't want to, because <laughs> <laughs> no one else does. Mm. <laughs> And I'd be aware that I'd be end up being the only one doing it. Um, I think some people just prefer that. The, the first time I went to a Nordics for Netrunner, for example, I was chatting to the guy running that and saying, oh, do you, do you not find it a shame you can't play and all the rest of it? But he was saying, no, I really like seeing other people play is where I get my jolly. So he actually likes organising stuff, and that's why you know when we were all there playing, he for him, it was better him having a successful event. That's where he got his, his buzz from, if you know mm. what I mean. And I think you get it in all the clubs up and down the country, don't you? There's always someone at the, the Crown Green Bowling Club or whatever it is that wants to be the treasurer and the chairman and all the rest of it. And then you get a lot more people who just want to turn up and everything organised mm. for them and don't really care that much. So it, it sort of depends on where you get your interest from and, and how much work you want to put in, I guess. Because um, not, I'm not suggesting that this podcast is the, the most onerous thing in the world and I'm in danger of giving up my day job. But it's, it's another level of effort, isn't it, that we have to put yeah. in. It's a few hours here and there that we can't put into other things like game prep or, you know, reading a new book or whatever else. So it depends how much time you've got and how interested you are in being the organizer. Uh, and I'm sure some people like gaming more than playing, uh, as frequently said. So you may well get, um, like the idea of gaming all the time, plus getting free stuff. Mm. Cause I'm sure a lot of the organized player guys get, um, free adventures basically because they're gaming. And I think you go and play set adventures. Don't yes. you to understand it anyway. So once you've done L3, Isle of the Dragon Witch or whatever, then you can't play that one anymore because you've done it. Uh, and that sort of thing. But So if you're running, you probably get a, a steady feed of adventures and scenarios fed to you so that you can run them at these mm. events. So, you know, free stuff's not to be sniffed at either if you like that kind of thing. I don't know. I think it'd feel like too much work for me to do it like that. I much prefer working out just before a convention what sort of thing I want to run and then doing that mm. instead. Do you know what I mean? Um, it's a bit weird with um, ShareCon coming up, the Savage Worlds convention in August. And I love Savage Worlds, uh, and I will love being there playing Savage Worlds all day with other people who know how to play it as well. But uh, because I've just been to two other conventions and played some other stuff, the things that are in my head are other things like Dead of Night or Tales from the Loop or whatever else, rather than thinking about the Savage games I want to write for that, if sure. you know what I mean. So I, I don't think I could tie myself to one stream of organised play, probably the problem. I'd want to play lots of different stuff. Yeah, okay, right, so... Probably fair to say then that uh, that the sort of games that we experience more often are down the <laughs> down the direct opposite end. So it's the unorganised games, um, we <laughs> and and there's definitely different levels. So I kind of mooted the subject for tonight based on the kind of games that you can see at cons or the sort of stuff you do at home. And and I'm conscious that another big demographic of gamers really work down the other end of the spectrum when it comes to preparation and organisation, which is that they do no prep at all um, as GMs, um, and players are rarely asked to prep, but that might be a different podcast, but they do no prep at all, uh, or, or low prep, and they, uh, they take quite a bit of pride in the fact that they won't have reams of notes, they won't like, work off of pre-published adventures, 
Um, they will have maybe a couple of ideas in the head or maybe some bangs. Um, so a little list of like, you know, maybe just two or three names even in a situation. And, um, and they're quite happy to just improvise up their game. And those games always seem to get a lot of followers too. It's almost like, you know, the middle ground is being perhaps a bit excluded in this argument, not that we're making an argument, but there's a massive demographic for those sort of games too. Um, so so where do you sit on that spectrum, mate, when it comes for, to uh, to your prep levels? Well, I'm somewhere in the middle. <laughs> oh. So there you go. Um yeah, back in the day when I first started, I used to have meticulously written scenarios and stuff like that. Uh, and then soon realised that no plan survives contact with the enemy, the enemy being players in that situation. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, they'll go off and do the wrong things and all the rest of it. Uh, and I've also more recently gone into doing Sam Petty stuff, so I'll have an idea of a scenario and uh, in terms of a setting, rather, or places to go and things to do, and then a timeline of events that will happen if the players don't interfere with it. Uh, to try and push them along, and that works quite well, but has its own failings sometimes, especially mm-hmm. if you get groups that just want to sit there and wait for a plot to turn up, because there might not be one. So they'll be waiting a long time. Um, so really, it's just um, a, a grab bag of stuff now is, is how I like to prepare in terms of having a loose idea of a scenario, but other stuff you can throw in there to keep things moving along. But it does require having thought about it, and that's where the old argument comes down in terms of being organised and prepped, and prep doesn't mean necessarily drawing maps or having monster stat blocks, although it can do. Um, it's having thought about what might happen in different situations, and if you've got some scenes or bangs or whatever else in mind, kind of get it in your head about what might happen as a result of those, or how people might react to them, or where the next step is from there. Uh, and that's sort of helped by, as I mentioned before, if you do some pre-gen characters, you can have an idea about that, and, and where relationships or tension points are where velocities of direction might be uh whereas if you make stuff at the table all loosey goosey style you kind of at the you kind of got to be a, a lot more free in what might happen and that gives you less time to think about what might happen or a less idea about the sort of situations and scenarios that you've got to kind of bear in mind because you've got lots of curveballs thrown at you up front which some people are very good at um i'm, I'm told i'm quite good at the low prep stuff but uh, I don't feel as comfortable myself doing it I'd rather have some stuff written down or some ideas and bullet points at least so I've got an idea in my head what I'm doing are you a, a full on kind of uh, prepared scenario guy still yeah yeah usually um, and, and traditionally I think that comes from my home games of, of uh, probably being uh, 80% published games so I've always liked collecting published scenarios, big campaign packs. You know, first thing I ever do is I get I get a big book, big new rule book, um, and I normally try and pick up a published adventure pretty quickly afterwards. Um, and I like you know the big campaigns, whether it be like you know Mask of Nyarlathotep or the Enemy Within for Warhammer, anything like that. Because because really I always sort of use those published campaigns to let me know what adventures are supposed to look like, with the idea that I would then go off and write my own. But I never mm. do because these campaigns always take ages to play. So, and we moved on to something else by then. So, I was kind of um, uh, sort of brought up on published campaigns. So, when it comes to like running my own stuff at conventions, I also noticed pretty early on that people never ran published campaigns at conventions or published scenarios, I should say, or never seemed to anyway. It, it was almost entirely made up by that GM. So it's like, oh, blimey, okay, well, I like running games. I want to run games of cons. That almost forced me into writing my own stuff. I think without that push, I wouldn't have done it. Um, mm. I find that, I find that quite a strange thing as well, by the way. So these days, I actually do run published stuff at conventions because people don't seem to mind and they actually want to play them. Anyway, so because I was brought up that way, I used to prepare my stuff almost to the level of publishable material, which is really quite a lot of work actually um, I do a bit less than that these days but that just comes down to time pressure I think if I had more time I would probably polish it up and possibly even put art in my notes and box texts and, <laughs> and glossaries yeah. it's, it's weird it's 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 like I, I don't want to just run it off just notes um, so I do quite a lot of prep really and um, and I put a lot of thought into timing and events and trying to make it punchy and 
And yeah, it wouldn't be it wouldn't take much after a con if it went quite well to polish it up and make it into something that you could offer up for sale. I'm not saying anyone would buy it. I'm just saying it's prepared enough that there's a few thousand words in each one. Right. Now, which, and I, I think that's unusual. Clearly, that's unusual because what I see from GMs who talk about their con experiences is they may set, set out with that in mind, but usually due to time pressure, some of the games that people have in their mind are kind of spun up from very little beyond that blurb that they had to write six months ago for the program. So you come up with your two paragraphs of stuff and, and, and sometimes due to circumstance, that's actually all you've got when you arrive yourself, <laughs> which is, 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 I find that terrifying. I find the idea of sitting down and having nothing but maybe a starting situation in my head really quite scary. Although whenever I've actually done it, which is no more than a handful of times, it's turned out to be an amazing session almost every single time. Mm. Um, so I don't know why I'm so scared of it. But it does does seem like, oh, what if it doesn't? What if it doesn't work? What if what if people feel let down? What if people realise that I've not got anything for them, which which is ludicrous. <laughs> but, but it's a real thing. Yeah. I grew up in the eighties where I was behind a screen, and you want, don't want to see the Wizard of Oz making the levers go, do you? Yeah, it's um, it's interesting, and I guess it comes down to what what you're doing. If you're going to run one of those Pathfinder organised games and you haven't done your prep, then you're going to get found out, and people will be upset. Yeah. Um, but if you play a different style of game, then you can probably get away with that uh, a little bit more. And some people like actively seek it. So a lot of the indie games uh, that IndieCon, I'm going to give up trying to not define trying an indie. I think people know what we're talking about. Hmm. But some of this small press stuff um, is written on one sheet of paper itself. Anyway, you know, it's two sides of A4 at best, uh, and people going knowing that they're expected to make it up. So that's got a little bit more leeway. But even then, quite a few of those that I've played have turned out to be disappointing sessions. Uh, and people have played who are very good at that kind of stuff and into that kind of game um, and have delivered good games before. I, you know, We all look around the table and go, yeah, that didn't really work, did it? And it's, it's like no one's fault necessarily, or maybe it's the game didn't deliver what we thought it might do or give us enough structure or something or we didn't have the right ideas or they didn't seem to work, for just misfired for whatever reason. And you feel a little bit let down. Um, and that seems to happen more often than uh, I would hope it would in those sort of games, mm. for me anyway. Uh, compared to a game of whatever, 7th C, Cthulhu, pick one. If you've got some kind of thing written down already, some kind of preparation or some encounters or something like that, some fights you're going to have, whatever, then you tend to get more of the experience you want guaranteed. And it comes back to that consistency again, I think. Mm. Um, and, you know, equally, there have been some sort of improv sessions that have gone really, really well and been brilliant. You never roll a dice and you think they're excellent. But, you know, I've had tried games where we've not rolled a dice and thought they were excellent just because the people around the table and the weather situation played out. Um, so there's a limit to how much you can affect it but yeah I don't know I, I, the zero prep stuff I'm less of a fan of because in my experience it's got more chance of going wrong because you haven't got the support network there you are literally relying on people coming up with stuff including yourself and hoping it all gels together and the people around the table are firing off the same ideas and you know all get the same jollies out the same sort of stuff mm-hmm. so yeah I've, I've probably I've tried quite a few games now I'll probably stay away from that kind of that end of the spectrum, just because I don't think it delivers as good a game often enough. Although, you know, you get some gems, uh, like James Mullen's very good at all kinds of things, so he can just put up a blank sheet with his name on it, not even, mm. you know, no name, no nothing, and he, he got like 10 sign-ups straight away, and it just had his name at the top of the sheet. So obviously, for people who like, the, you know, a, a sort of more free-form game or something that's a bit more off the cuff, there's a market out there, again, like there is for Pathfinder, and you can get a bunch of people together who will dive at the opportunity to play it I think just for me personally I like a bit more game than my game so would you if you saw uh, if you saw a pitch or heard a pitch I should say or saw a sign up sheet at a con and um, and on that sign up sheet it said uh, we're going to be playing I don't know let's just pick cyberpunk as a genre we're playing a cyberpunk game and the game will uh, will be set in such and such and I've got these six characters and after that the session will be completely improvised and it said that out loud in the pitch or on the sign-up sheet would you would that pique your interest or would you immediately look for a different sort of pitch that was maybe a bit more traditional uh the second one so yeah i think Mm. it's good that someone had had fired it out up front first and said this is what you're getting um but yeah it wouldn't really pique my interest i kind of want there to be something 
more there to start with, if you know what I mean. Mm. Yeah, I um, think my interest would be piqued, but I'd be nervous. I, 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 my interest would be piqued because I'd, I'd quite enjoy the challenge because I'd be I know that up front as a player I would be expected to probably contribute more than in some games um, and step up and guide things and so on and not have to look for permissions all the time and that that might be quite exciting but I think I'd be really nervous that like what if I wasn't good enough or what if nobody had any ideas and it all fell a bit flat and it was over in 20 minutes and I, and I wouldn't have that fear at all about any other game despite the the evidence showing that games can fall flat or ride high depending on millions of variables you never know how it's going to go till it starts yeah, uh, yeah, it absolutely depends on the people at the table, doesn't it? Mm. One of the games I played at weekend had a player that just, despite we were in, us being told as a group that we worked for this other guy and we should do, you know, work for him and we owed him, we should do what he said, just wanted to go off and have his lonely fun on his own. Uh, and he went wow. on his own side missions. So the game, like, we ended up having to cut it short, really. We came to a, a swift conclusion, basically because one of the players just wanted to have lonely fun by himself in his own little private side quest. So that's like I don't. It didn't really matter what game you were playing, whether it was a more freeform one or a structured game. If you've got to cut your time like that because of player behaviour, then that's going to be an issue. So there's a limit to what the game and setup can do. But you hope at least that if you say it's a freeformy game, or that you you know we just start with characters and we're going to decide what happens as we go, you get the right sort of people for that sort of game who are up for it. But I still think you've got the danger that you just don't get the right ideas at the table, or people mm. don't you know it doesn't sing enough. Um, but that's that's probably just down to my preferences, and a lot of people just prefer only that sort of game. And you know, if you have to pick up a dice, they don't really want to play it. They'd much rather just talk the talk things through, or throw ideas on the table and see what happens. Sure, sure. So, but you you were talking earlier about some of your experiences at the most recent con where you had to generate characters at the start of your slots. That my experience is that's quite a rare thing to have to do. Um, generally speaking and my advice has always been that I've received and given is is have your pre-gen sorted out because it gets you into the game clicker so that that seems a little bit unusual and that would tend to suggest that that was a relatively low prep game because my the way I prep games is I kind of prep the characters and the scenario and they both riff off of each other so if I'm doing pre-gens, that tells me what the scenario should be. And if I'm doing the scenario, that gives me an idea what the pre-gen should be. And I'd find it quite hard to prep half the game. So if you're not doing characters until the day, that seems to imply quite low prep stuff. But did that work for you this time, mate? Because that's not been normal for either of us, I think, is it? Uh, no, I don't think any of the games particularly failed because of making characters at the table. Um but I just, for me and how I like to game, I could see them being better by not doing that and having more defined characters. I mean, basically some of the game on the character sheet to start with. Mm. So, you know, the, the Tales from the Loop stuff was my fault because I just didn't bring the characters with me because um, <laughs> I'm stupid uh, and or excited about going to Amsterdam for the weekend. So I didn't really check too carefully what I was bringing. I just ran uh. to the plane and started drinking. Um, but, you know, it was good to spend, uh, it's probably like, you know, best part of an hour maybe not that long but certainly with getting drinks and breaks and stuff like that it was the first hour was roughly taken up making characters which was good and we got you know both times got a good set of characters we worked out how they knew each other and we found out bits about the character from their background and their life just by talking things through and asking some questions which was great um i think the one of the slight issues with that for me was that I didn't get to use loads of it. Like I wrote a page of notes both sessions just on what the the guys were saying about the characters, even right. before we'd rolled the dice or anything. We'd done an intro scene. So I had tons of stuff there that I could have used, and I only got to scratch the surface. It was a real shame. So I think that sort of thing's definitely better in a home environment where you're going to run several sessions, and then mm. each session you can bring stuff out, and in between sessions you can reread on what people have said and remember who's got what sister who's got this problem and that problem and related to somebody else and that kind of stuff so if anything we'd come up with loads of great stuff and didn't get to use it in, in Tales mm. of the Leap which I think was probably my my issue with it there and you sort of get a, a little bit of a problem that players can overlap a little bit in the concepts or what they're good at or that kind of thing uh, and if you do organised characters beforehand you can make sure that each character has its own niche or you don't get two characters that are too similar and they've mm. definitely got their own different distinct flavours and that kind of thing. Um, and then, sort of conversely, the Dead of Night. Dead of Night's dead simple to make characters for. You've only got, like, 
four paired stats uh, and you know a couple of bad habits and that's pretty much it you're done um but um with that we had two characters that were vampires mine and someone else's and we ended up with completely different concepts for them even with very okay. little to write on the sheet but just the concept of what a vampire is and what it's about and mine was quite young and brash and new and all the rest of it and the other one was an ancient one stuck in tradition and you know lost in the world a little bit so it worked out from that point of view uh, and it was something that probably if i'd have been running that game i wouldn't have made characters like that so mm. diverse so it, it, you know you do sometimes get something out of that process that you perhaps wouldn't do yourself because obviously you've got your own um prejudices and, and what you like or what you don't or what you think might work whereas if you get six people around the table all making characters there's a lot more ideas there that can come out and, and uh, different approaches um but again i think the the scenarios for both dead and night games could have gone a little bit better with some help from having pointed characters if you know what i mean or defined mm-hmm. things on the sheet to do in the scenario that are specific for that scenario or specific for other characters, either other players or NPCs in the game. And I think that's the advantage of doing the prep work in advance is you can, there are things you can fall back on if you think your scenario or the session is not going the way you want it to. Having stuff baked into the character sheets gives you extra stuff to do. It's like extra plot or, you know, things, scenes and things that you can have just ready waiting mm-hmm. to go without having to have having your GM notes. They're there in front of the players so the players know what they can do as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that's good. That's that's interesting, and it's, it's made me think a lot about the sort of pregens that I do. And I, I think the middle ground for me these days is if I can find the system to do it, and there are plenty, is that kind of half-generated PC, yeah, uh, where you've got most of it ready to go. Certainly the big bangs on it, you know, the the archetype, um, but some of the detail filled out in play or customizable on the day, you know. Um, and whether that be something uh, as really, really easy as, you know, pick your age, sex, and appearance, stuff like that, which even when, when that's all pre-filled out on a character sheet, even that can sometimes be a bit jarring when you sit down and go, oh, really? Oh, okay, I'm going to look like that. Well, I thought I'd have a bit more say. Um, or, yeah. you know, you've even got your name already filled out. Um, but there's definitely some room for, like, you're the gunslinger, and you've got, like, a, a magic gun, but the rest of it, well, let's find out. Because the gunslinger and the magic gun bit is the bit that everybody needs to know about and is probably accommodated for in the plot. Yeah. So that's where I'm going with it. And it, well, it'll be interesting to see because that's kind of the approach I'm going to take with Blades in the Dark, which I'll be running a bit later this year. So you and I have been playing online in a really cool game, um, which has helped me understand the game a lot more. And the playbooks for that uh, are full of really good, easy pick stuff at the beginning, which kind of gets you right in the mood straight away. I don't think it's going to take very long to prep them just off of those playbooks and, and playbook style games seem just right for this sort of thing. Have you done yeah, many? Yeah, You've done quite a few, I think, now, haven't you, of that sort of game? Yeah, I've done quite a lot of the Apocalypse World style games. So, mm. like, you know, Monster Hearts, Apocalypse World itself, various other bits and pieces. I really like that. You know, I did the sort of, here's the three, three things, pick one of them. And to be fair, I got I got one of the guys from Holland to, to print me stuff off for the second day of Tales from the Loop, and they've got some archetypes in there where you have to pick um, right. like a drive and an anchor and various other things. But the archetype sheet's got like, pick one of these three and make your own one up. And, and having something like that you can hand out, I think that helps a lot. That's, that's probably a better way of doing it rather than saying, you know, pick what drives your character and not knowing much about the game can be quite difficult. But if you yeah. say, pick one of these three things or something like it, then that enables players who are struggle a little bit with it just to pick one, and anybody else who was a bit more fruity to get an idea of what sort of thing they should be putting down. So that helped a lot of things. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely with you on the sort of half baked, or you get a template for, or you want to be a fighter. Well, here's some stuff you get, and now you've got this many points to put wherever you want, kind of thing, or yeah. all that kind of stuff. I think, but yeah, so you need to assist the process a little bit, I think, or it helps too anyway. So, so when it comes to the adventure itself, one of the things that makes me uh, reluctant to go the no prep way is one of the things I really like about scenarios, and especially con scenarios, is when they're quite self-contained little stories. And I don't mean completely scripted from one end to the other, but I quite like it when uh, if A and B happen, then C does that to D, and E either comes into story or doesn't come into story. But it's kind of like... You could almost say to the GM afterwards, and I'm sure we've both heard this from players in the past, what was really going on then? <laughs> or did we do it the way it was supposed to? Which I, I yes, don't mean it to sound exactly. like I've just done, which is like, there is no way it's supposed to happen. But the idea that you can 
uncover something or explore it or push the boundaries of it and that there's actually something to dig around in um and i'm i've kind of i can't really see how that happens in a no prep game i can see good times and i can see how you can spin off into all kinds of directions but there's less of an element of discovery is there unless yes. unless you count discovery as discovery for the gm as well now that's what makes me a little bit reluctant to go fully into no prep gaming what's your take on that yeah, I, I feel the same. We've, we've talked before, haven't we, about like the uh, the Wizard of Oz behind his screen and pulling the levers. Mm. You know he's there. You can see his feet underneath the curtain. But I don't, I don't want to see him. I want that bit of mystery going on. So, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely of that bent. Uh, and uh, one of the no-prep things that sort of rankles me, I know other people don't mind it, but it's the kind of making sure everybody's okay. Mm. So there's a bit of a, oh, this will be cool. Is everyone okay with that? And it's like, well, now it's not cool because you've asked my permission. If you just say you just come up with like a good idea, now I know I can veto it if I wanted to, or someone else can. It now doesn't seem as cool anymore, and it, it's really obvious that we're just making shit up. If you know what I mean, or yeah. someone comes up with a better idea and goes, "No, no, no," but it was probably this because of this reason. And you're like, "Well, the first idea was good enough, actually." I mean, your idea is a bit cooler, but because you've just trampled on somebody else's idea, that now doesn't feel very cool either. You know, so again, it, there's a bit about player behaviours and all the rest of it which can fix some of that, but. Mm. That sense of mystery and uncovering things and and stuff that might be there that you get you know you get a little bit of a win out of by getting there sooner or being a bit clever about it or sneaking the back while the dragon's not looking through that secret entrance to his cave or something you know to use a naughty mm. example, but I, I do love all that. I think that's a lot better. I, I did get someone in one of my games at the weekend saying like halfway through when they'd sort of uh, taken control of this skyship thing and we're careening around the base and everything was really going wrong. He looked around and went, oh, this is probably what we're not supposed to be doing, is it? And it's like, I don't, uh, right. yeah, like, don't worry what you're supposed to be doing. Is this awesome? Yes. Is everybody having fun? Yes. Shall we just carry on doing this? Yes, mm. let's do that. You know, there's, uh, the, the bit where it's, it's probably a bit of a barrier is when people feel they have to follow a plot that they think is there or like, well, we can't talk to this guy anymore. He clearly doesn't know what the plot is. We'll go and speak to someone else. Or, you know what I mean? If you if you think you're trying to find, you know, mess around the mist, trying to find this life rope to hang on to and then follow it because you're supposed to, or that's what the plot is, that's the death of good roleplay. And what you want to be able to do is just do what your character would do and follow an arc and take, take it where it may. I mean, obviously don't go off and have lonely fun or shit on other people's ideas, but, you know, you you want to be really just in the moment and roleplaying, don't you? Well... Yes, I mean, the, the classic example, and, and this came up with last week's discussion with Mike as well about Call of Cthulhu and investigations, is that I don't know how many times I've been playing an investigation-based game where I want to do the right thing for my character and for the game, and I'll know I'm doing the right thing if I get an official handout. Because <laughs> as soon, <laughs> if I'm talking to an NPC for any length of time and I don't get a handout, that, that one has just been improvised. And, and you know, and the poor old GM as well. Who's I say, oh, what's this character's name? Uh, he goes, uh, Kevin. I go, Kevin. Who he goes, Kevin Schmevin. It's like, right, okay. And you can't help but be a little bit meta about it. I mean, nobody wants to, and sometimes it's a laugh. But, but that's almost as big a clue as somebody with a clue. It's like, well, let's turn around from this cul-de-sac and go back towards someone who's got a picture that the GM slides across the table and possibly a letter in their pocket. Yeah. <laughs> so. You know, and and that, um, you, that's difficult doing no prep or low prep gaming, I think, unless you're very, very agile. Yeah, one of my favourites is when you give someone, a, a, you know, if the GM hasn't cropped it properly, so he's got the handout number at the bottom, <laughs> they kind of go uh, like, hang on a minute, this is handout six, the last one we had was handout four, we missed handout five, we need to go back, speak to that old guy up, again. <laughs> We've lost one somewhere. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, I mean the 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 tales from the loot thing's got a little bit of investigation around it, but I, I did make clear to the players in advance, like, don't worry about it. You will ultimately get to the showdown one way or the other. Don't just don't like sweat it. Uh, and clues could be handed out. There were some stuff printed, but a lot of it was just like, here's what you need to know. Here's the, the detail bit, you know. Uh, so th there's ways around the, the handout thing. Is one of us not to have handouts? <laughs> well, hand, yeah, handwrite everything. <laughs> but, but yeah, I know what you mean. You, sometimes players feel like there's, there's something, something they might be missing that they have to have. Uh, and as long as you can sort of run your game in a way that means they know they're comfortable with just playing it out and, and have trust in you as a GM that they're going to get where they're going anyway, or they'll get to a conclusion. I think that can solve that. But 
there's still a lot of players who've got you know um i was talking to richard expo about this that just needs almost training out of the bad habits it feels like a bit sometimes like going to Batsy dog's home and there's just a dog that doesn't trust humans yet because it's been beaten so often and you say look i've got some food for you and i'm gonna i'm not gonna mistreat you don't trust me but there's a there still seems a, a section of players who, who feel a little bit like they've got to say about every little piece of equipment they've got or what they do or what they don't do and that they check the back door and all this kind of stuff because they're so used to being you know hit around the head for not doing a thing so the gm beats them for being stupid uh and part of that's just as i think running games a little bit differently and making sure players know it's safe to make choices you know and bring their own bits of dialogue to the game or a description or whatever it's all cool really well i think that's a really interesting point and we kind of half joked about it earlier but that's that's been a real change in gaming that i've seen over the decades is what you're talking about there is players who embrace no prep on their character sheet whereas right back in the day your character sheet had a 10-foot pole on it and a length of rope and some wolfsbane and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And if you didn't have that kit, you might find yourself in a situation where you were really at a disadvantage. And I think it's probably to say, fair to say that your more modern game uh, might have this mechanically defined as something like preparedness or it might have little bennies or fate points that you can invent stuff or it might just say uh, under your fighter, under the, under the kit section, you've got fighter shit, the sort yeah. of shit that a fighter would have. And, and that's kind of like your low prep or no prep version of the player's responsibility to the game as well. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean rules light or anything like that too. But it does mean that coming as a player to a game with the expectation that you don't have to have everything all codified for you either as a player. That you can join in with the improvisational tone. You can join in with like, if you've got a contact um, down at the docks that contact doesn't have a name until you say what the contact's name is it's not mother may I to the GM all the time Yeah, and, th- and that's always really refreshing even in a really prepped up game from the GM side I love seeing players embrace that kind of no prep attitude mm. and uh, another little thing I did I probably didn't do it enough <clears throat> I was a little bit worried that players might not embrace it but um, is game players to play NPCs as well at one point like one of the kids uh-huh. Uh, got back and I thought there'd be some tension with a mum and I didn't want to do all the playing out of the, the parents of all the kids so I just said to another player like can you be his mum and you know what uh-huh. got, and then I could play the principal ringing up to you know give him some grief about why why was your son not in school today and we had a little three way thing uh, but getting the players to join in on that like you know I've, I've not got any agenda here like you've got no notes that I haven't got as the, you know don't worry about what you say as the kid's mum how would you play it out if you were this character in this situation what would you do girl mm. uh, and Obviously, like for some players, that'd be terrifying. Uh, so I wouldn't force it on everybody, and I was a little bit reluctant to ask more people to do it. But again, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to have players join in with some of that stuff, and it's, it's letting them know they've got that freedom to add a bit of something mm-hmm. to it. Without, I know some of the old school Viking hat gems who, who visit the forums and stuff will be all like, "Well, I've got special things only me and my AF now." So if I let a player do that, then they wouldn't uh, <laughs> give the right details away. They might say something that's not canon in my universe. Well. You know, let's ditch all that idea and get more about creating cool stuff that's there, which doesn't have to be prepped in advance necessarily. Okay, all right. So, so that's quite a lot of ground covered there, and mostly the middle ground, which is <laughs> where reasonable people dwell, really, yes. isn't it? So, so shall we summarise then, mate? So, uh, organised gaming probably not our bag, and not would really. love to know more. Yeah. Uh, total zero prep games. Uh, curious. Would like to know how they work find them a bit terrifying but definitely curious about them um, and for me my spectrum has been sliding away from big prep to less prep but I don't think it'll ever get to zero so I, th- I think I'm moving along the scale as I go and, and looking at this big pile of rule books that I'm, I've committed to run in a couple of months time <laughs> I'm thinking of, <laughs> I need to justify a way of getting it all down to a single sheet of paper each please so <laughs> I might need your help mate yeah. so, so what so where are you at with all of this then, mate? Uh, yeah, so organised play, I'm looking forward to seeing how the Cthulhu stuff comes out, or maybe even Ring Quest mm-hmm. when that's out. Um, it'll be good to see how that pans out compared to something that's a bit more like go down the dungeon and fight things, which you can run via combat scenes and stuff like that into something that's a bit more fluid and social and investigative. Um, I, you know, it might be something I get involved with, but I'm not going to run it as a 
before Mike brings me back up again, saying, good, you can run the UK <laughs> version of this uh, organised player thing. Uh, the zero prep stuff, uh, I've I've sort of had my fill of. I've played, you know, at least a dozen games, if not more, of that kind of stuff. And I just uh, I want more game in my game. I appreciate that people like it. So, you know, more power to you if you want it. Um, and I'm somewhere in the middle again with the, the prepping. Like I, I like to prep my characters and get a lot of my game into the characters if I can. I think that's where it is if you get your PC sorted out. Uh, I more often do that first and then write the scenario after, if you know what I mean. Once I know what yeah. the players are about, or the player characters anyway. So, yeah, middle ground for me, but leaning towards a bit light prep and having stuff that can happen rather than a linear line of things that people should follow and have to. So I think that's where I am on that. Okay, right. So good stuff then, mate. So that's just you and me this week and no special guests as a treat for both our listeners. So some ruminations on recent gaming and gaming to come. So that was good fun. So uh, I'd love to hear what our listeners have got to say on these subjects. Um, uh, Organised play, definitely. Where where do you think you sit on the spectrum? Have you moved? That kind of stuff. Um, what's the future looking like for you? Uh, does it terrify you, the prospect of like turning up with nothing? Um, or is preparation a crutch? <laughs> <laughs> you can get in touch with the Smart Party via your favourite electronic means. Look us up on the forums where we're just about everywhere, or you can simply email us at thesmartparty at hotmail.com. Your comments, insights, questions and revelations are always welcome. Roll diplomacy! So get in contact us through the usual methods. You can email us, you can find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, uh, and you can you know, recommend your podcast to your friends. And uh, that's it from me. Yep, thanks for listening everybody and let us know what you think because we're always interested in your ideas as well as ours. That's what this whole collaborative hobby is all about. Cheers guys. Thanks guys.